0: Speak the truth, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong.
1: Ruffing the Youth, and undergraduate philosophy podcast that looks at the intersection between philosophy and pop culture on the one hand, while also expanding what we think of as the philosophical canon on the other. I am your host, Dr. Nethery, aka the Mighty Mighty DRN. I stole that from the Bodega Boys, (laughs) my favorite podcast ever. And I'm joined uh, with my three co-hosts, my interns for this semester. I'll let them introduce themselves.
2: Hi, my name is Valeria. I'm Aaron, And I'm Corinne.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Uh, So our theme this week for episode two uh, is uh, conspiracy theories. And for us, uh, normally we try to do a couple different segments, like uh, looking at philosophy and pop culture, something we call exploding the canon. But for this installment, it seems to us, we think that conspiracy theories have have completely diffused all of our popular culture. Right, conspiracy theories just seem to be a part of popular culture now. We have uh, rappers talking about flat earth, right, (laughs) (laughs) B-O-B. We have uh, uh, probably the biggest conspiracy theory in a while that's rampant in conservative circles, QAnon, right? That's just people show up to Trump rallies with their QAnon paraphernalia on, all sorts of weird signals that they're part of the conspiracy or that they're believers in what's going on. So all of these things, they've completely diffused our society. And uh, we also think that philosophy probably hasn't done what it should to really think about the problems of conspiracy theories and how conspiracy theories really function. So that's what we wanted to think about uh, for this episode. And there's an article by Lee Basham called Malevolent uh, Global Conspiracy. And in it, in the last paragraph, he says that the greatest danger we face in taking the risks of conspiracy seriously is a divisive society-wide paranoia. And i think that's happening right now especially with the proliferation of things like fake news Mm. right with fake news because that's part of a conspiracy depending on who you're talking to if you're talking to a trump supporter of course this is a conspiracy uh from the media and uh the what is it like the deep government what do they call that i don't know i forget forget. and (laughs) so we have these things going on and it just is really scary so i think it is in our interest to probably think about these things critically and to think about them philosophically so that's what we we're going to do today so the structure of what we're going to do is i'm going to talk a little bit just about the structure of conspiracy theories the typology then we're going to think about uh, the main debates as regards conspiracy theories and philosophy and then we're going to think about the intersection between uh, conspiracy theories and worldviews and then we're gonna finish up by thinking about the way that language helps to promulgate things like conspiracy theories. So let's start. So most of the information I'm gonna be giving you in this first segment is from a book by Michael Barcoon, who was actually a political scientist, and he wrote a book in 2003 called A Culture of Conspiracy, and he does a really neat job at philosophically delineating kind of the typology and structures of conspiracy theories. So let's start out with the typology. So for Barcoon, there's basically three different types of conspiracy theories. So they are event conspiracies, systemic conspiracies, and what he calls global conspiracies. So as to the first, event conspiracies, Barcoon writes, here the conspiracy is held to be responsible for a limited discrete event or set of events. So what would examples of this be? Like the Kennedy assassination would be one. Bush right. did 9/11. Yeah, right. 9/11. Right. That's well, an some, event.
2: Some say that one is is global. but like a lot of people were that a lot of people were involved in that. But yes, it is an event.
1: Yeah, and as we go through the typology, we're going to see that all of these are kind of connected together. The systemic conspiracies wrap up the event ones, and the global conspiracies wrap up the systemic ones. Right. So Malaysia Airlines, remember that flight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one. There's a conspiracy theory around that. Right, so that would be an event. So theories that just focus on a single event. Second, we have systemic conspiracies. And according to Barcoon, he writes, at this level, the conspiracy is believed to have broad goals, usually conceived as securing control over a country, a region, or even the entire world. While the goals are sweeping, the conspiratorial machinery is generally simple. A single evil organization implements a plan to infiltrate and subvert existing institutions. So one of the most widespread examples of this is the uh, Elder Protocols of, of Zion, which was a book that was published in the late 19th early 20th century, which was a complete fiction, but it was written and it was supposed to be an account of this council of Jewish people who were figuring out how they were going to run the world. So anytime you see conspiracy theories that posit some sort of shadowy group that's actually running things, that's trying to create some kind of new world order, this is a systemic conspiracy and Almost all of them, I think, have their roots in the elder protocols of Zion. So much so that if somebody says, oh, yeah, there's a secret group running everything, you can probably be pretty sure it's code for Jews. It's anti-Semitic. And then finally, this is the best stuff. The final level are global conspiracies because this is where it gets wild so Barkun uh describes it like this a uh, global conspiracy is one in which the linking together of event and systemic conspiracy theories at the summit of which is a quote distant but all powerful evil force manipulating lesser conspiratorial actors right so this is where you say okay there are all these events the assassination of jfk the the uh crash of twa to 800 the crash of the malaysia airlines all of these are actually connected because they're all done by this uh, new world order, but the new world order is actually at the behest of some other malevolent force. Yeah. So the biggest version of this, the one that is most resonant with popular culture, but most people probably don't know the or- origin is the idea of reptoids, <laughs> right? So this is from David Icke. And David Icke says, they're these aliens, they're called reptoids, and they have infiltrated our society at every level right? So you have an, a, a shadowy group that ties together all of the event conspiracies, but itself is beholden to some sort of purely malevolent force beyond that. There's also this dude, uh, Milton, who said the same thing, but he had a more kind of generic version of aliens that were, that were behind everything, right? So we have those basic three types. Now, inside any of those conspiracy theories at all, You have three principles, according to Barkun, that underlie basically every conspiracy theory. And this is where it gets philosophically interesting, because each one of these principles, when they're taken together, generates the primary feature of conspiracy theories, which is that they are non-falsifiable. That's really the epistemological interest when we think about philosophy and conspiracy theories. So let's think about this a little bit. So these three principles that undergird all conspiracy theories. Principle one, nothing happens by accident right so any seemingly accidental thing has some sort of cause principle two nothing is as it seems so if something seems like an accident it actually isn't okay and then finally principle three everything is connected so these three principles come together And they argue that what's going on in the conspiracy is that you have uh, some sort of event that could not have been accidental, where nothing is as it seems and where everything is connected. But the really interesting thing is all of these come together into a further epistemological position, which is that conspiracy theories are non-falsifiable, right? So the term falsification comes from Karl Popper in the philosophy of science. And he says, look, something is is meaningful or we can investigate it if it is possible in principle to falsify it, right? If we can't find a way to prove it isn't true, there's no way to prove that it is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that's basically what's at the heart of a lot of conspiracy theories. That's why they're so slippery. Yeah, that's exactly.
2: Even if you provide counter evidence, it's never enough to completely dismiss it. So then people can just double down and continue to believe what they already do.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. So it all kind of boils down to a three-step argument. Uh, Two premises and a conclusion. And it goes like this. This is what undergirds basically every conspiracy theory. Premise one. Because the conspiracy is so powerful, it controls virtually all of the channels through which information is disseminated. So we're thinking here universities, media, things like that. So news, popular media. Premise two. Further... The conspiracy desires at all costs to conceal its activity, so it will use its control over knowledge production and dissemination to mislead those who seek to expose it. Okay? Which leads us to the following conclusion. Hence, information that appears to put a conspiracy theory in doubt must have been planted by the conspirators themselves in order to mislead. <laughs> right. So this ends up creating a, a, a kind of vicious circle. So if counter-evidence pops up that would falsify the theory, That counter evidence is just dismissed as some sort of diversion tactic, propaganda, disinformation campaigns, things like that. So it becomes non falsifiable, which brings us to the main one of the main philosophical questions about conspiracy theories is believing in them rational or irrational. So, if you take somebody like <laughs> Karl Popper, right? So, our normal thing is like, look, if I can't falsify it, isn't it irrational to believe something that I can never pr- prove is false, right? So, isn't it kind of irrational for me to believe that, oh, right now around Aaron's head are little fairies? You can't see them. And any evidence you might find that would point to the contrary, that ain't going to work either, right? Is that a rational belief for me to have on my part? That seems like the answer is are no. Are you
2: seeing fairies? Also, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just rational to me, right? But so that's, so that's the question. And so there's a basic split in philosophy. Half of the people who write on this, which is a very small group, say, yeah, it is completely irrational at all times to believe in conspiracy theories. People like the dude that I quoted at the beginning, Lee Basham, he, on the, argue, on the other hand, says, yeah, it's not quite irrational to believe that some conspiracy theories might be true, right? Because for Lee Basham, he says that living in an actual society, societies function by, uh, societies that function require a little bit of secrecy. And as long as there's secrecy, there's always going to be a question about what is it that's being kept secret. So how, for Basham, the interesting question is, since it's not completely irrational to believe that conspiracy theory is true, how do you create a society that can have secrecy on the one hand, but is open enough that nobody would believe a conspiracy theory about it on the other? Right. So even somebody like Lee Basham takes that basic question and pushes it all the way to a question of like, what would a society look like?
2: I don't think it's we've ever had a society that. like that. It's like, yeah, I have always no a idea. Degree of secrecy, even like in America, it prides itself on being like a democratic, open society. Like we have no idea what's happening, like in the Pentagon or like behind closed doors, or there's so many covert operations that we just trust that they're working on our benefit when really they couldn't be, and we wouldn't be able to hold them accountable. Yeah, yeah. It's like that control of information, like it's an illusion that everything is open. So then we don't question it.
1: Yeah. I think every new president we get at some point will say, now our government is more transparent than ever.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And I
1: actually use this as an example when I teach logic as an example of vagueness. What counts as transparent? You telling us 1% of what's going on? Is that transparent? Because it's more transparent than 0%.
2: Sure. <laughs> I mean I guess shit. I guess we'll have to take it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: It's just a it's a degree. It has to be like in a degree of transparency because it's never going to be 100%, but when people hear that like they want to be in a transparent thing so they're like, "Oh, it's more transparent, so I'm satisfied." Yeah. Even though there's no percentage given because yeah. they would never give a percentage yeah yeah be like yeah. we are 70% transparent <laughs> everyone would be pissed <laughs> yeah.
1: this year y'all we reached a new high 71% transparency that's 2% than <laughs> last last fiscal, fiscal quarter yeah 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 it's it's interesting so we'll be right back when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about conspiracy theories that actually turned out to be true in order to think more about whether or not it's rational or irrational to think about conspiracy theories we'll be right back Welcome back to corrupting the youth today. We are talking about conspiracy theories and, uh, we want to think a little bit about sort of one of the main philosophical questions surrounding, uh, conspiracy theories has to do with whether or not they are rational or irrational. So I just wanted to go around the table because that's what we're recording at is a table and (laughs) just see what, (laughs) uh, what everybody thinks. So Val, what do you think? Is it, is it rational to believe that conspiracy theories are, might be true or is it just irrational?
3: I think it's rational because some of them turn out to be true. And then some of them are irrational, but you can't prove them to be untrue or true. Like JFK's assassination or like Lincoln. I don't know.
1: What about you,
0: I think it's rational to think that some of them are true to an extent. I mean, while I would love to believe that reptilians are secretly, you know... Controlling everything. Yeah, but just, did
1: you see that YouTube video of Miley Cyrus's eye <laughs> and the was, reptilian thing? Goes like yeah, pretty you convincing. Yeah, you can, sorry, go on.
0: <laughs> um Yeah, so I think it's rational to an extent, but it's irrational because I mean, if that's if you don't like have any critical thinking, if you don't try and understand that it might not be true, then that's irrational.
1: Yeah. But yeah. What do you think, Corinne?
0: I think it's I think it's
2: pretty rational, um depending on the theory, of course, uh, but like Aaron said, it has a lot to do with critical thinking. and if you're completely unwilling to even entertain the idea that it's wrong, then you're not weighing options. you're just confirming what you already believe, which is pretty irrational.
1: but yeah, so th- what so let's 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 think of some examples of conspiracy theories that actually turned out to be true. So Aaron, take it away
0: all right. so. One conspiracy theory uh, was that the Dalai Lama is actually balling out and he's mad rich. So in 1998, this turned out to be true because some U.S. intelligence documents uh, were declassified and they revealed that for much of the 60s and some of the 70s, the U.S. not only aided the Tibetan independence movement by providing them with $1.7 million a year for operations against China – but they also gave an annual subsidy of $180,000 to the Dalai Lama. And they did that all um, as a means to undermine communist China. So this was during the Cold War. But yeah, so that was true. He's he's rich. He lives in a mansion apparently.
1: So wait, what which part was undermining communism? Just the fact that there's a, a the Dalai Lama is being paid mad money?
0: Um so the tibetan independence movement was they were like rebelling against china yeah okay. china
2: was claiming that they were sovereign over tibet they were like saying like that tibet is now part of china okay and china was like or tibet said no
1: okay yes. okay okay. <laughs> yeah. okay they didn't okay. want communism to spread all right cool, yeah. cool 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 yeah okay yeah that's that's pretty wild <laughs> yeah, the, the dalai lama who would have thought did, did you say how much or did they say how much?
0: Yeah, they pay him. Well, they did pay him um, $180,000 a year.
1: Damn.
0: Yeah, hmm. for quite some time, quite a few years. Um, hmm. But yeah, yeah. Uh, another crazy one is um, the Project Sunshine. So this one um, happened in the wake of Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, after the bombing. Um, the U.S. government commenced a major study to measure the effects of nuclear fallout on the human body. So the conspiracy was that the government was stealing dead bodies to do radioactive testing, and the truth is that the government really was stealing parts of dead bodies. They needed, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they needed young tissue. Uh, so they recruited a worldwide network of agents to find recently deceased babies and children, and then they took samples and even limbs. Um, which were all collected without notification or permission of more than 1,500 grieving families. Woof. Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's, that's pretty uh, rough. Yeah, and it's crazy because it sounds like it sounds so absurd, but then it turns out to be true that they're stealing parts of dead babies. I mean, guys, come I mean, they on. Bombed.
2: The, they bombed oh, them and like well. they were cool with killing millions of venison civilians so I feel like taking the, the arms and legs of dead babies is not really a far stretch for them yeah you make a good point
1: <laughs> also this seems like temporally off don't you want to <laughs> test the effects of radiation before <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah one would
2: think but again they were hey, clearly hey. not concerned C'est for the well-being vie, yeah.
0: la <laughs> yikes um, so another one um, which is I think uh, quite a few people have heard of this one, is MKUltra. So the conspiracy is that the CIA was testing LSD and other hallucinogenic drugs on Americans um, in a top-secret experiment on behavior modification. And that turned out to be true. program is MKUltra. The CIA started by using volunteers, um, but the program heads began dosing people without their knowledge with these drugs. Um so many people were permanently uh mentally disabled after that one.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, Put like like to a do.
2: five times stronger the normal dose of LSD in someone's coffee and then just like see what happens. Yeah, see let's, what happens. Let's shits and giggles. Yeah. Let's just see, like hundreds <laughs> let's see of see what happens went crazy.
1: There's a, a documentary on Netflix I forget. It's by a famous guy. I think it's called like "Down the Wormhole" or "Wormhole" or something like that. And into it's uh, a it, into the wormhole, maybe something like that. And it's like a a fictional like recreation of something that actually happened. So there's a scientist that was working with the CIA, ended up throwing himself out of a window. Uh, okay. And it turns <laughs> out, it turns out <laughs> that the cia had been dosing him, even though they've oh. been working with him. You know all of this weird stuff. But originally yeah. they were like This it was just like, yeah, you know on which threw himself out of a window. He died by throwing himself out of a window. And his son was like, how do you throw? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, But it wasn't <laughs> like, but it was like, if I remember correctly, it was like one of those Kool-Aid man situations. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, ran right through where, it. Yeah, where like the window, like he ran through the window. Wow. Right? And people were just like, why?
2: Wasn't there like an investigation that it was actually a murder that like they had that like someone else had thrown him out because so. they were like there's yeah. no way that someone could do this yeah. like yeah. physically yeah but what was the conclusion did he I did he actually it. throw himself I oh, oh, come no. on see the conclusion is
1: never as fun as getting as, there
0: yeah. our listeners are gonna be furious <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm furious want to spoil look it up <laughs> all right what's it, what do you have another one yeah I got one last one which is. Uh, all right, I'll get to it. Uh, so this one is called um, Operation Mockingbird. So as of uh 2015, we have learned from declassified government documents that in the 50s, the CIA had been gathering intelligence from journalists and other news outlets um, in pursuit of ways to manipulate and influence public opinion in order to spread propaganda. So they literally recruited journalists at like new york times uh wall street journal all these different places um and they got them to spread you know government propaganda um and i mean not even to like a, a super high degree it's like it could be so baseline just they manipulated the news in there um, yeah just like determining what gets what got told out. and what doesn't
1: Yeah, which then if we think back to that three-step argument, the two premises and a conclusion from the first part when we were talking about Barcoon, right? The first premise is because the conspiracy is so powerful, it controls virtually all of the channels through which information is disseminated. Mm -hmm. So things like that don't make it any harder. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like what are some conspiracies that we think are just obviously false?
0: Flat Earth. Flat Earth,
1: (laughs) right, just obviously false. What's another one?
2: climate change
1: denial. Yeah, climate change denial. Uh reptoids. reptoids. But I am not sure. I mean, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Miley Cyrus thing was pretty convincing, but
1: uh, so then what what do you think is the, what what is the dividing line? Why is it just retrospect? That's the dividing line? I mean, so so like so so if you would talk to people like, yeah, I think MKUltra happened before any of this declassification happened the same thing would apply, right? We would say, oh, no, that's just not true.
0: Yeah, because then it's still a theory. Now we know that it's a fact. I also think like...
2: Oh, sorry. Oh,
0: okay. Uh, I think like determining whether or not
2: it's rational or irrational, like depends on how the person gets to that conclusion. You know, like just because the conclusion ends out to be right, like they could have gotten there by just wild speculation and then happened to be right like i think that that would still be an irrational thought process like whether they were right or not you know it depends yeah. on the reasoning
1: so it's more the f- the form rather than the content like yeah how we got there versus the actual thing that we believe yeah it's just like yeah, basic logic like me. if
2: your conclusion is correct but you have a bunch of ridiculous premises like you wouldn't say it's a good argument just because <laughs> they turned out to be right yeah, 20 years later unsound yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, uh, think about that a little bit. We'll be right back to talk about conspiracies and worldviews. back. So now we're going to think a little bit about how conspiracy theories and worldviews come together. So Corinne, why don't you take it away?
2: Alrighty. So I'm going to be talking a little about social psychology and kind of discussing the type of person that would believe in conspiracies and how that affects their worldview and vice versa, how someone's worldview affects whether or not they believe um, certain conspiracies. So There's a burgeoning field in psychology right now, literally just conspiracy theory psychology, studying um, exactly this. And there's one guy called Viren Swani, Dr. Viren Swani. Oh, wait, I think that's right. I wrote it in cursive and I can't really read my own writing. Um, (laughs) He's (laughs) he's a professor at the University of Westminster and he did a study um, a couple years ago of people who believe that 9-11 was a government... um, like orchestrated event and there's been lots of other studies like this and they without a doubt like conclude that um like the biggest indicator of whether or not someone believes this type of thing is um of political cynicism or like social cynicism so people that believe this type of thing already are kind of alienated from mainstream politics like mainstream society they don't feel represented or represented by the government, by the media, so they're kind of on the fringes. So there's already a skepticism um, there, which makes it easier for them to psychologically Let me justify. Really What's quick.
1: up? What, is there like a bunch of these?
2: Like studies?
1: No, like right. um, different sort of necessary conditions. Because uh, I want to see yeah. how many apply to me.
2: Yeah. See, that's <laughs> the thing. As I was reading this, okay. I was like, um, this is me. Okay. So, first so,
1: one, political cynicism. Yeah. The okay, idea. Check.
2: Yeah. Um, kind a of. Hard check. Uh, and then another thing uh, is. Well,
1: yeah. No, that's a check. Sorry. Go on.
2: Yeah. Uh, if the person, um, the person is seeking some type of stable, um, world order. Like, they look at all of these things going on and they're like, there has to be a reason for it. It's like what we were saying before of, like, that there are no coincidences, like, there's no coincidences that, like, all things are causal and connected somehow, but whether or not they necessarily understand all of the pieces, there's a deep, um, belief that uh, these things are, are not what they seem. And so, a conspiracy theory especially like a global one um, or like a, a larger scale, more like systematic or systemic one, um, it gives them answers or at least points them in a direction other than like, who knows anything about anything? It's like, this might work and it's comforting. It's, it's like religion. It gives you an idea um, that answers a question that most people can't.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because that's a question of stability. Mm -hmm. right which is even what the buddha was concerned with right where does a lot of our misery and suffering coming from come from from trying to make stable something that always changes yeah
2: the yeah that attachment
1: and this is also you know francis bacon was kind of into that line of thought but he also said well it's just kind of the curse of the human mind is that we're always going to look for more regularity and order than actually exists Right, right. Our te- our thinking is always going to tend that way. So that's uh, one of the idols that we have to watch for for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to say that no, I don't like to search for, st- I don't need it. But at the, uh, the other hand, I'm a philosopher, and if I'm trying to <laughs> connect things, like how is that not a form of stability? Yeah, I can't it's a lie. seek of
2: uh, you're seeking truth in some way, yeah. something that makes sense in yeah. a world that tells us that it doesn't Do you make seek sense.
1: Stability, Val.
3: As a Pythagorean, yeah. <laughs> As a Pythagorean, yeah. Val is a
1: full-fledged, self-professed Pythagorean. Amazing. What about you, Val? Do you, are you are searching, or sorry, yeah. are, are you searching for uh, Stability?
0: Not, no, not really. No, you're just chaos? Sometimes, yeah. Full entropy? Yes. Just embrace it. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So we have cool. political
1: cynicism, we have a yearning for regularity and order, stability.
3: Take the quiz, are you
2: susceptible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then... Another one kind of going off of that is like a a kind of a return of agency that like once you have an idea of a worldview, then you can do something about it. Like that's what we saw when the guy took a uh, semi-automatic rifle to the um, pizza place that Pizzagate apparently was happening. It's like this is happening and you can do something about it, which is really dangerous yeah, because then people dangerous. get shot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the kind of desire for agency and like control. Yeah,
1: so the best example of that is was the, the shooting that happened at the synagogue in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. not that long ago, right? That guy was full on, I am here to end or at least harm the Jewish conspiracy. Yeah. Like that's, he walked, I'm pretty sure he like walked in and said that or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was like shouting shit yeah, like that the whole time. Yeah. Dylan Roof was even... Kind of on that same tip, it's a little gender. bit. He was the guy that walked into the church,
3: black church, in, yeah. I think Georgia. Or oh, right. So. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So yeah, so an idea of of agency that you are fighting some global conspiracy and kind of like a hero complex, and then um, there's always an emotional investment in it. It's, uh, it it makes you feel good about something, and maybe not even good, but it there's always an appeal to emotion when people get involved in, um, conspiracies. It's like when, during political campaigns, you know, the, like the whole idea that there's a humanitarian crisis at the border against Americans, uh, not the refugees being tear gassed, uh, but people that are attracted to that already have some sort of emotional investment and then it confirms it. So there's confirmation bias, um, And then in the situation of when conspiracies turn out to be false or proven false or if a person that believes it so deeply is given contrary information, um, you would think like, why can't you just see this and like change your mind? But there's this deep human need to maintain this idea of identity and a positive self image. And humans hate to admit that they're wrong. Like it's one of the hardest things to do um and especially when you stake like your credibility like your worldview and like the earth is flat like you double down like you're not gonna be like oh actually you're right because then you look like an idiot no one wants to look like an idiot so all of those things combined are reasons that people would believe in conspiracy but the interesting thing is that those are just natural traits of all humans like we all kind of believe those things it's how our mind works
1: we all want to be the hero we're all the heroes of our own stories you know what i mean so we all have a little sense of narcissism if we believe a conspiracy theory now we're the special one because nobody else sees it but us Mm -hmm. right
2: and and that points to another interesting thing especially now with social media is that um when people used to believe in in conspiracy theories i don't know 100 years ago they were totally isolated And it was just like, this guy's insane. But now you go on 4chan and there's millions of people who you're just shouting into the echo chamber. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Like Obama is like not American, you know, and because we can choose our news outlets to just confirm what we already believe, um, these people get a, a sense of community, which is just absolutely fundamental to the human condition. It's what we do in religion. It's what we do in political parties. But with conspiracy theories, because a lot of them are so outlandish and marginalized by mainstream media, um, they get this kind of vindication of like, well, it's me against the world, but it's not just me, it's me and all of my friends who believe the same thing.
1: Yeah, so like, and this is one of the reasons why I think conspiracy theories pose And conspiratorial thinking poses the kind of cultural problem that it does is because on the one hand, we're not supposed to believe them. But on the other hand, we have this whole series of things that's going to start to point in that direction. We have certain just facts about human fallibility, our yearning for order where there is none, confirmation bias, things like that. But we also live in a society that, like you were saying, Corinne, you cannot be wrong. Mm-hmm. If a politician changes their mind, yeah, flip-flopping is one thing. But if somebody says, look, I used to believe this, then I had counter contrary information based on that contrary information. I saw that my previous position was wrong. That is not valued in our society. Yeah. Because wrong completely is completely documented. Everything so we, that we've ever yeah.
2: said is documented. So it just makes us seem either stupid, naive, or a liar.
1: Yeah. So when we shake our wag our finger at the conspiracy theorist, we don't realize that we're already putting them in a situation where saying that they're wrong is already going to be bad for them. Because that's just the way that our society is. Mm-hmm. It seems like a, a particularly toxic.
2: Yeah, it is It is toxic. And then, like, in the, the Lee Basham, like, his concluding thing of his prediction that this will just lead to a society that's even more uh, fractionated and, and polarized... Uh, seems to be very true especially as these um conspiracy theories like QAnon become more and more mainstream like they have millions and millions of followers like this isn't just like weird people alone in their basement on 4chan like no. this is like your dentist yeah, this Trump is your professor filled like, with people yeah
1: just wearing the gear i believe q on their hats mm-hmm. you know what i mean
2: yeah so i but i think it's it's cool that or not cool but just food for thought that since this seems to be part of our psychology and our human nature that can we really fully blame people that believe stuff like this and just like castigate them as bizarre when if we were born into a family that that was accepted that could be us it's like when people get involved in religious cults like i was listening to this thing on npr and We'll plug for npr hey i listen to public radio i'm cool um but this- they're not very well known so any plugs yeah. would really help. have you guys heard of npr you know you know about this one um but this one of the the hosts was in a religious cult until he was like 18 years old and now looking back at it he was like if they had if our like leader had told me like drink this kool-aid and you're gonna go meet jesus like he said that he would do it like this could happen to anyone which I think yeah. is, is wild. And I think that's necessary to know because we can't just like vilify people that believe this as like subhuman or something and just be like, oh, well, I would never believe that because then there's no conversation possible. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there really is a conversation yeah. possible anyway, but yeah. it's easier to, you know, or better to just at least confirm their humanity at least. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Good. Well, on that note, we will be right back. We're going to think about the role that language plays in... Uh, helping us to slip down the slope of conspiracy theorizing. We'll be right back. welcome back to everything is terrible i renamed this podcast <laughs> during, <laughs> during the break because we were just talking about how terrible everything is and now i'm just completely bummed even if i usually am anyway so To close out the podcast today, we want to think a little bit about uh, the way that language contributes to conspiracy theory belief or contributes to the promulgation of conspiracy theories. And basically, we're thinking here of two things. Dog whistles, on the one hand, and the informal fallacy in logic called the complex question. So let's start with the first one. Val, can you tell us what a dog whistle is?
3: So dog whistling is basically a phrase where um, using like key words people will say something and only the truly special will catch on to that meaning and therefore like that's how kind of the basis of their conspiracy theories later
1: yeah okay good so and of course the image is a dog whistle it's a whistle that only you can't hear it only the dog can hear it right so it's basically like a code word so we see this a lot especially in conspiracy theories that center around uh the billionaire george soros Right. Basically, if you see uh, George Soros brought up by name in any kind of context in an NRA thing or any kind of Republican uh, uh, advertisement or uh, trying to get money from you, usually it's a it's a form of dog whistle. Usually what's going on here is saying, look, there's this Jewish conspiracy headed by George Soros and other Jewish billionaires that are trying to run the world. So we actually have an example of this from the NRA. What was that example, Val?
3: So the tweet was by the NRA saying, another billionaire is pumping unlimited money into electing anti-gun lawmakers. Notorious anti-gunner George Soros joins anti-gun billionaires Steyer, and Bloomberg. There is no end to how much they'll pay to push their elitist agenda on Americans.
1: Yep, so here you have the idea, and this is, uh, again, like the typology of the systematic or the systemic conspiracy. So here the idea is we have uh, these billionaires, Jewish billionaires, that are trying to subvert and infiltrate our institutions. What's one of our great American institutions, the right to have a gun and shoot people. (laughs) So if if, somebody is trying to infiltrate our country with a radical agenda, part of it's going to be taking the guns away from actual people. Why? Because once we take the guns away, we can bring the military in, right? It's that sort of militia, that militia fear. So we see this in the QAnon conspiracy. We see this in... uh, different forms where we've seen public figures hold up that hand signal for white supremacy, mm-hmm. right? Even that's a form of dog whistle. You don't know what's going on unless you actually know the hand signal. But in uh, there's another w- way that this kind of goes down and it goes down through the complex question. So the complex question in logic is a part of the study of informal logic, which is just sort of everyday language. And the complex question is an informal fallacy. And the idea here is, is that the complex question is whenever we ask somebody a question that is loaded with something that they didn't do, just the very fact of asking them the question and asserting the proposition makes it something that the other person has to go argue against.
3: Hey, Dr. Nethery, have you stopped killing babies recently?
1: What are you talking about, Val? I've never killed a baby before. See, now I have to respond. Prove it. Yeah, right. (laughs) So now the burden of proof is on me for absolutely nothing. So why don't you read So this is how the QAnon conspiracy basically has run. It's run almost entirely off of questions. So what were some of the questions in uh, one of those initial posts, Val?
3: Where is Huma? Follow Huma. Why does POTUS surround himself with generals? Why go around the three-letter agencies? What is the military code?
1: stuff? Okay. Yeah, good. What, were there a couple others on there?
3: Um, do you believe HRC, Soros, Obama, et cetera, have more power than Trump? Question mark. Fantasy, period.
1: Yeah. So if I, if I lay out, this is actually pretty ingenious. I think QAnon is a massive troll and I think it's a genius troll because the way that the person is doing is they're setting out a series of questions. And just by asking the questions, the assertion of a proposition, there's a proposition that's asserted in there that now somebody has to either prove or prove did not happen. And if I can give you enough breadcrumbs that are really vague, and if I have enough hungry people to look at those breadcrumbs, they're going to be able to put it together in an infinite number of ways, Mm -hmm. right? If I give, and this is again from the philosophy of science, if I give you a set of empirical data, there is nearly an infinite number of hypotheses that can explain that data that's why we say data is underdetermined
2: and it plays into that confirmation bias of like when you hear a sentence like do you believe that soros has more like more power than trump you're you're like of course not like no how could that possibly be and then you're going to go and find all of the information to confirm that
1: yeah yeah or even something even simple as saying okay what is huma abedin hiding something well, now just the <laughs> fact that i ask that now there's people who can go out and go oh she must be hiding something and they could come up with literally anything they want to fill in the gaps of that right yes that's right. scary
0: <laughs> that is really scary is i'm scary. just i'm staring off into the distance thinking about how <laughs> uh frightening that that
1: is <laughs> So what did we do today? So today we looked at uh, the structure and typology of conspiracy theories. We talked a little bit about whether, about the main debate in conspiracy theories and philosophy, about whether it's rational or rational to believe them. We talked a little bit about the intersection between conspiracy theory, belief, and worldview. We thought a little bit about the intersection between conspiracy, belief, and language. And what did everybody learn from today's episode? What did you, Val, Did you have one big takeaway from today?
3: I am highly
0: susceptible to everything because I really want order in the world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, admitting it is the first step.
0: I took away that QAnon is the troll king. Okay. Um, I was not
2: prepared to answer this question. <laughs> uh, I, I learned that there uh, there's not a lot we can do to try to combat this. It's really hard to to start a conversation about it as we've been thinking about this, like like with someone who believes something so patently false, um, like how do you tell someone respectfully that everything that they believe is wrong and they need to change their entire worldview without calling them an idiot or pissing them off?
1: Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time and I've, I've, I I've think this is even more true now. As my students know, I've, I'm obsessed with conspiracy theories. I talk about them a lot. I find them fascinating and I think Especially once we saw all of this sort of the the multiple factors that go into conspiracy belief, there's no way to get rid of it. I think the best way thing that we can do is inoculate ourselves against it Mm -hmm. by teaching critical thinking in elementary school and up. There's no reason that a student should be getting a logic course for the first time when they're 18 years old. Right. Well, and it's, it's a logic. The yeah, it's part of the conspiracy, right? Yeah,
2: they don't want you to, they don't want us to think. But through philosophy
1: that, that we learn critical thinking, we learn that some things are are black and white, a lot of things are shades of gray. And that's the kind of thinking that helps you to parse out what's true and what's not true. It cannot be the case that no conspiracy theory is true, and it cannot be the case that every conspiracy theory is true. So we need our citizens that can be able to think about the difference and those gray areas. I have
2: an, another thing to say about yes. that. Um, Because that's what the social psychologist whose study um, I mentioned earlier, like, said that, like, obviously we need critical thinking, but he said, like, that will be too little too late because this is already here. He said that part of the best way to mitigate this is because so many of the people that believe, like, these global conspiracies and especially political conspiracies um, are so marginalized in society, like, they aren't represented. So, like you said, it's not going to go away So he pretty much said, like, we need to bring them to the table. Like, we need to be able to have discussions with them, which is, like, I think going to be very, very difficult and unlikely, but it makes sense. Like, if you continue to prove to people who think that society is against them that society is against them and that they have no voice, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to be a shitty feedback loop. But now I'm thinking that there's going to be, like, Conspiracy theorist proponents in like Congress, which is like terrible. Well, mean, I mean, there they're are already there. there are, but yeah. like more so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we got to bring them in, I guess. All which right. is but isn't that
3: one of like the ways where they like kind of see the light? Like they actually like distance themselves, distance themselves from the media. So like, oh my gosh, I I see the truth because I'm not brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Ugh, everything is terrible. (laughs) I feel all right. You feel all right? I feel okay.
3: (laughs) Everything is math.
1: All right, well, thanks for hanging out with us. We will see you next time. Later. Bye.